0: Hey everybody, it's Play to Innovate, the innovation show that goes beyond the hype. Now here's your host, my dad, Brett Chlob. Hey everybody, welcome to the Play to Innovate podcast. Today I'm going to be talking about defining what true innovation is. I also want to say welcome to my podcast, this is the very first episode, so I'm going to talk a lot about what this podcast is about, and what I'll be talking about, and a little bit about my background and why I believe I'm worth listening to. Just to begin, my background is in industrial design. I actually have a degree in industrial design. Early, early on in my career, I designed dental x-ray equipment for about a year. I also started a furniture design company and designed custom-made furniture from environmentally sound materials such as urban-grown lumber and reclaimed materials and things like that. That was a big lesson in not doing your hobby as a career, but we'll, uh, one day I might get into that in a little bit more. For most of my career, though, I have focused on what is called user experience design, and that is the way that you, the person, interacts with a software or a website and hopefully makes it very easy to use. So most of my career has been spent in software and web design. Now, if you know me at all, you know that I love innovation. I also like making positive change happen, but I love watching things being invented. I love seeing those early stages, learning about the mindset of the person who's inventing it. I love gadgets. I've always tinkered through my childhood. I would take things apart and see how they worked. I loved learning about inventors like Tesla, uh, physicists like Einstein, of course, uh, and just learning about their history and what they did. So that is why I love talking about innovation. But the other reason I like talking about innovation is because I believe the more people understand what true innovation is and the more that they understand how to be an innovator, the more they'll innovate. And I believe that the more true innovation out there means the potential for better products, a better society, better environment, and just in general, improvements that make the world better for us and the other creatures living on it, but for us and uh, in society in general. But I again, I also believe that the more people who know how to innovate, will do so, will innovate in their field. And I'm gonna to talk to everybody. I'm gonna to talk to anybody in any field because it doesn't matter to me what field you're in. I, know in. I know for a fact that you can be an innovator in that field. So it doesn't necessarily matter if you are a physicist, uh, an engineer, uh, an accountant, it doesn't really matter. You can find ways to improve the processes and products that you provide. Now, along with talking about just innovation in general, I will be covering quite a few topics on this show. First, of course, is how to be an innovator, but I'll also be talking about what might be holding you back. These are subjects that I cover in my book, Play to Innovate. You can find that book on Amazon.com. But I will also be covering things like innovation in the news. And I'm not one who really likes to cover what other people have covered. I want to try and share new things with you. So I will be covering lesser known or lesser talked about innovations. And I will also be talking about some of the more popular innovations. You're in general going to hear about not just critique about these things, but the mindset behind it, the people behind it. Uh, where it was where it came from, kind of where that idea was born, things like that. So I want to be more comprehensive than just giving you some kind of general critique. And I'll also find some people to interview as I go and and talk about the innovations that they are making in their careers. I'm not just going to be talking to engineers or designers. I will definitely be talking to people in various careers so that you can see that it's not just about, design or products or things like that, that services and social work and other things like that are important, and you can be an innovator in your field. But I'll also be covering subjects around innovation, such as working with people, working with your clients and customers, and in general, working with the people that you serve. And there's going to be a lot more And I'll talk about a lot more subjects, such as the occasional product review. Now, you're going to go along on this journey with me because the format of this show is still in flux. Again, welcome to my first episode. But I hope that you enjoy it, and I hope that you can leave some comments, either positive or negative, and help me shape the show. I want this show to be for you. I want to provide something that you find valuable. And so, if you can leave comments, positive or negative again, that'd be great to help me shape the show. Before we go any further, I want you to understand one thing, which is that you are creative. Okay, the person listening to this right now, you, you are creative. Okay? I hope I made that clear. You can be an innovator no matter what field you're in. No matter what stage of your life you're in, you can be an innovator. It really just takes a mindset and some mental tools to help break you out of your day-to-day thinking and your limited thinking. And we all have limited thinking. I include myself in that. And that is why I developed Play to Innovate. That's why I learned these mental tools and learned the mindset. So. You're not, you're not alone. I'm not talking at you. I'm actually right there with you, alongside you in this whole journey. That all said, you might not be a fine artist. And you might not be a painter or a sculptor or whatever. That's not really all that creativity is about. You might not be a writer or an inventor. That's also not what creativity is about. Creativity is about finding novel solutions to the challenges and problems that we encounter in our day-to-day. So understand that people are born creative problem solvers. You couldn't actually get past your infancy without being a creative problem solver. And so I want you to understand that you have the potential to either regain that or strengthen that creative, that creative drive that you were born with. And really understand, too, that even in the stage that you are in now, you couldn't get very far in life without having without having solved some problems in a creative way. And most likely, if you really think about it, you have been solving problems in a creative way almost daily for your entire life. Just give yourself some time to think about that, and you'll see that that is true. And the, the funny thing about all this is that I've talked to... People who are actually in creative fields, engineers, writers of all people. Um, Unfortunately, even a couple of designers in my career I've talked to and they've said, you know what, I'm not creative. And what I believe that they are saying is that, again, they're not fine artists. They're not crafters or painters or sculptors or whatever that is to them. But in general, they are providing creative solutions. And so they are creative. I can understand somebody who is in what is not considered traditionally a creative field saying that they aren't creative, but still if you're in that situation, think about what you do day to day to solve some problems. If you are an office manager, I'm sure that you have organized something in a creative way. You have provided a creative solution for the people in that office. So just give yourself some time to think about that, and you'll see that I'm right, you're wrong. All right. Now let me define for you what innovation is, true innovation. I hear a lot of people using the word innovation as a buzzword. They talk about things that are actually incremental improvements as if they are true innovations. And so true innovation is something that comes along that shifts the way we do things see the world see ourselves see each other it is a fundamental shift in the way we do things or think so it's not an incremental change a quick example of true innovation is the difference between that phone on your wall in your kitchen and even the first cell phone the way the first cell phone worked was fundamentally different from the way your wall phone or your home phone works. You were now able you were now free to be anywhere essentially in the world and still and still get phone calls, still get messages and still be able to communicate with the people that would be would have been calling your home number. And that's not to say that incremental change is bad. In fact, incremental change is a very positive thing. Incremental improvements are really the thing that keeps people coming back to you. If everything you did was a true innovation, if every time you put out a new product it was a complete shift in the way people did things, how often do you think people would want to go to that new product unless it was very compelling? If everything you did was a complete shift in the way that person had to think about things or do things it would essentially start putting them off to the products that you put out. So when you are incrementally improving things, you're actually helping that person grow with your product. You're helping them to understand things in a new way in a slow and even pace. And you're giving them new features and functions over time so it keeps them happy, it keeps them delighted, but it also keeps them coming back. And so I'm not saying don't innovate. I'm saying stop using the word innovation as a buzzword. I understand if you're in leadership, I understand you're trying to rally the troops, get them excited about the things that they're doing, the products that they're putting out, the services they're providing. The deal here is, though, when you're calling everything innovation, what you're saying to the people doing the work is that their incremental improvements are not good enough that what you're looking for as a, essentially a benchmark is innovation and what they are doing as incremental improvements is not enough. So that, that not only hurts morale a little bit, but it also shows that you lack a fundamental understanding of what they do and you lack a respect for the job that they're doing. So celebrate the incremental improvements you're making, celebrate the job that people are doing, You're going to be able to doubly celebrate when a true innovation comes out, but allow not only your customers to grow with the product, allow your people to know that they are doing a good job, that the incremental improvements they're putting out are what you're looking for. They're helping the company. They're helping the people that they serve. Let me give you three examples from history of what true innovation is. The first one is the original press, the original printing press. It was a hand crank deal where you would put your page together as a box of letters and then you would mount that into the machine, put your one page down, pull a crank, re-ink, put a new page down, pull a crank. It was a slow process but it was much much faster than what people had been doing to produce books. And so books became less expensive over time people started becoming more literate they started learning more about the world they could understand the in fact the gutenberg bible allowed people to understand the bible better and they didn't and they no longer had to listen to somebody tell them what it said they could learn for them for themselves so the original press actually changed society it changed the world And it changed our fundamental understanding of the world. Now, let me contrast that with the modern press, which is also comparatively uh, a major innovation. The modern printing press uses a plate that uses photography instead of individual letters that somebody hand puts together in a box. It moves much faster than the original press. I mean, there's no comparison, really, at this point. And so that is an innovation in and of itself. But there are also littler innovations that came along to create what is the modern printing press. And now you can get books on demand, which means that they can print just one book at a low price and ship that off to your customers. So those are true innovations. So let's talk about the steam train for a second. Which came along and allowed us to not only move greater distances faster, but people were able to move farther away from each other and ship products, messages, so the mail and all of that, greater distances at a more economical price. It changed the way the country worked. It changed the way we lived. It was a true innovation. I would argue, though, that the diesel engine came along and essentially did the same thing. There was no real true innovation there except the way that it worked. So the diesel engine itself, the way the train worked, that was an innovation. The, the train, though, fundamentally didn't really change for quite a while. So you get high-speed trains and things like that. They all use the same tracks. They go to the same places. They essentially provide the same end result And so, I don't necessarily see them as a true innovation as much as uh, some just really nice improvements. Now, let's talk about a more modern innovation, and that is the smartphone. The difference between a feature phone and a smartphone is night and day. The smartphone is a true innovation compared even to the original cell phones. And mostly because it doesn't really just provide the same solution that the previous product did. It actually is a pocket computer that also communicates. And I think many of us learn this the first time we get a smartphone in our hands and we start playing around with it. In my case, I got this toy and opened it up and was all excited, played around with it, added some apps, uh, you know, kind of played a couple of games. And then about two hours later, I realized, you know what, how do I make a phone call? For me, it was a shift from uh, even my BlackBerry, which was mostly a phone first and then also a PDA, to a device that does all sorts of things, and then also the phone is now an app. Now, I contrast that with upgrades such as better displays and better battery life and those are not innovations those are improvements but i will say that in those industries those could potentially be true innovations that aside what all three of these things have in common the the original press the steam train the smartphone is that they fundamentally changed the way we do things or see the world or interact with each other and things like that over time though there's been there have been improvements to these devices which is not to say that the improvement to these things hasn't been valuable only to say that that is the difference between the true innovation the groundbreaking change and then the over time the improvements and while I personally believe that we can continually improve a product for generations if you're only continually improving and you're never looking for that next big thing you're eventually going to be left behind so It is a balancing act. I know before I said continuous improvement is important and is a very good thing. I stand by that statement. But I also stand by the fact that you do, over time, need to look for ways that you can innovate, ways that you can change the industry. So I hope I've clearly defined what true innovation is for you. But the question still remains, how do you get there? What do you need to do to be more creative and innovative? And while each of these concepts could be an episode by themselves, I'm going to touch on them here today so that you get a better understanding of what it takes to be more innovative and creative. Now, the foundation of creativity and innovation is your mindset. By watching people in sales and PR and marketing, other designers, I over time learned the mindset that it takes to be more creative and innovative, and that is focusing on end results and benefits. The reality is is that most people will explain what they want in terms of solutions they already understand. Your job is to then take that explanation and convert it into an end result they're going for and understand the benefits that that end result will provide. A story that helped me understand the difference between end results and solutions is one a friend told me quite a while back, which was pretend that you're trying to hang a shelf to display this glass figurine collection you have. Now you want the shelf to be very sturdy and you decide you're going to use some wall anchors. But being a brick wall, you need to drill a couple of holes in it to put these wall anchors and you decide you need to head down to the hardware store to buy this drill. When you get there, you see 12 different kinds of drills, and you're trying to decide which one you want. How do you decide? Think about this. Are you buying a drill, or are you buying two holes in the wall? Now, in your case, you're buying two holes in the wall, and so you would buy a drill adequate for that purpose. If you, on the other hand, were someone like a general contractor, Maybe you would be buying a drill, and so you would be looking for some specific features in that case. You are buying two holes in the wall. That's the difference between end results and solutions. Again, most people try and explain things in terms of solutions. Your job is to convert that explanation into the end results they're going for. Now, once you do that, you want to take a look at all of the requirements that you're either handed or that you decided on, and then throw them all away. What you'll then do is add each requirement back based on the criteria of, does it move me forward towards the end result I'm going for? Is it something that I can't control that I really need to include, such as uh, legal regulations or things like that? And then from there, you're going to define your project based on the end result, and the requirements these few requirements that you were able to add back now one more thing about end results studies are showing that people decide what they want through an emotional need and then they back it up with seemingly logical requirements and so when you go to the store to buy something most of that decision is based on an emotional need or an emotion and you only back it up with seemingly logical arguments. This is why people uh, hold very fast to ideas that they have, and you get in these arguments on social media, and all of a sudden they dig their heels in. It's an emotional response. So when you're looking for end results, understand that there is an emotional component, and there is also a logical component, but the majority of it is emotional. Your next step in this whole process is to understand your biases. And I'm not talking about when it comes to people, although that is part of it. I'm talking more about the market that you're in, in general. So that includes the industry, the products that you provide, the services, the people you serve. And what you want to do is look at what you believe to be facts or just the way it is about all those things the industry the products the people and all of that next do some real research talk to the people that you're serving talk to the people that are using your products or services take a look at the product you're providing and decide if it's really fulfilling the needs of the people you're serving and take a look at your beliefs about your industry what is it that you believe is a requirement in your industry so many people believe that if you know, your competitor lowers their price that you better too because now they're going to put you out of business or they're going to take your market share. Is that really true? Are people only buying by price in your industry or are they buying by some other need and that just made it a little bit nicer? So take a serious look at all of those things. Do your research and decide what is actual facts. Again, being careful to understand that you're going to tend to look for things that confirm your biases. So try really hard, and it's very difficult, trust me. Work really hard to get past your biases. Look past what you would like to be true at the actual facts. It is very difficult, trust me, but you can do it. And then continuously redefine your understanding. On every project, take a fresh look at... The people that you're serving, take a fresh look at the products and things and make sure that they are still serving those people the best way that's possible and in the way that they would like. And continuously look at your industry and see what other people are doing to be innovative or improve what they are providing. After all of that, you want to make finding solutions fun. I think for most people, the solution-finding part is the most nerve-wracking. It's the part where you either say, oh man, I hope I can find a solution or I hope I can find a better solution than the last time. I vividly remember a project where my uh, colleague and I were redefining a very complex process. I vividly remember one project where my colleague and I landed on a solution that we were so proud of only to be told, hey, we're, we're already doing that. We, we need something better. So there can be a lot of anxiety around finding solutions. That's where the Play to Innovate method came from, and it it helps people break out of their day-to-day. It helps them break out of that serious need to find a solution and helps them play in a more fun way, finding great solutions that they would normally not think of because it now moves you past your fear. Once you find some of those solutions, you can continue to use the same play to innovate mindset and mental tools to finalize that solution and work through it as the project goes. I will talk more about play to innovate and what it is and how to do it in future episodes. But one of the last things I'd like to leave you with is to explore your world. Get out of your industry. Get out of what you do day to day. Look at how people in other industries solve problems. See how you can apply those methods, those mindsets to what you're doing. Take a look at what other people are doing as far as products. Why do those products work really well and can you apply that little bit of knowledge to what you're doing as well? Get some hobbies and I'm sure a lot of you have plenty of hobbies. Get some new ones. Do something that you would never normally consider. One of the things that helped me was taking a sewing class with my wife. And now it was a two-day class and we just made a pair of pajama pants. But I never would have considered doing that on my own. It helped me to understand how clothing is made and the complexity that's behind it. And it helped me to understand some of the nuances that go into all of that process. And while I might not use that knowledge on something I'm doing for my work, I might actually use that knowledge for something I'm doing at home. So you never know where it's going to come in handy. Along with exploring your world and learning about all these new industries and things, remember to continuously learn. Learn something new. Try and learn something new every day. I heard somebody say, if you're not saying, oh, I didn't know that on a weekly basis, then you're essentially not learning. And if you're not learning on a continuous basis and you're not growing continuously through your life, then you're just falling behind. And that can happen very quickly. Trust me, I've watched it in my own life. As I stopped doing code for about a year, all of a sudden I look and there's a whole new world of coding practices and, and methodologies and things like that that I never learned. The last thing I want to leave you with is the concept of critiquing your world every time you're out or even at work, ask yourself three of the greatest questions you could ever ask. They're all based on the foundation of, does it really have to be? Why and what if? Does it really have to be done that way? Why was it done that way? And what if it was done some other way? Let me think how I could have done it better. Really start thinking about what you would have done differently. Over time, you will get into the mindset of the people who are designing those things. You can also start trying to apply your industry knowledge to that product. In turn, you'll start being able to apply what other people are doing to what you do. Like I said, I'll expand on these concepts in future episodes. For now, if I could just leave you with two things... One is to start believing in yourself as a creative problem solver. And two, start looking at the projects that you're working on, the challenges that you encounter, as a need for an end result, and then define what that end result is. Next time, I'm gonna talk about what might be holding you back, what might be holding your company back from innovating, and talk about some examples of innovations that people laughed at in the past. And then I'm going to explain why people laughed at them in terms of the things that might be holding you or your company back from innovating. You may or may not be surprised to see that people haven't changed very much in the last couple of hundred years, even from the 1700s. I hope you got something out of today's show and I enjoyed talking at you. Again, leave comments. Let me know what you think about what I'm sharing, and let me know what you would like to hear about. If you have any ideas on how I can improve the show and better serve what you're looking for, definitely leave those comments. I need to hear your feedback. All right, well, thanks again for listening. Talk to you later. Hey, if you are ready to learn more, go and pick up a copy of Play to Innovate. It's available on Amazon.com. Just go to Amazon and type in the search Play to Innovate, and you'll find my book. If you want to learn more about me, the author, or what I do as far as classes and workshops, go to fivepebblesllc.com. That's the number five, P-E-B-B-L-E-S-L-L-C.com. So it's all one word. And uh, if you have comments, again, just leave those comments. I'd love to hear from you.